unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Nathan, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. And for the listeners that were tuned in last week, we were we went on an emotional roller coaster. And I think that we're going to continue that emotional roller coaster this week. Yeah, we're we're right at the top of the roller coaster now. Um, yeah, we're back with the 11 emotions of copywriting part two, six more emotions after the list of five from last week. So let's review. Emotions make the world go round. One particular emotion, and that's love, according to the late singer-songwriter from the 60s, Dion Jackson. And I want to say, a lot of you know Dean Jackson. He's a great guy. He's a friend of mine. I'm not talking about Dean Jackson. I'm talking about Dion Jackson. Look him up on Spotify. All right. Love is the emotion that makes the world go round most of all. But there are 11 other emotions besides love that make the world go get their credit cards and push the order button. It's conventional wisdom among a lot of copywriters and marketers that there are only two emotions that do this, greed and fear. Uh, But today I'm going to show you others that you can use in your copy. I think you'll be surprised by the end of today's show, and you'll agree with me. You'll see that each of these emotions, when presented in the right way to your prospect, demands action, and action is what it's all about. But come to think of it, here's what it's all about, too. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast, and most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims, and if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. All right, so let's review why emotions are so important and how solid and credible this list is. We went over five emotions previously on Copywriter's Podcast last time. They were distress, recovery, disgust, fear, and anger. And we'll go over six more today. And for all you positive thinkers out there, I'm delighted to report that today, two of the six emotions are actually positive. Woo! Now, embedded in the word emotion is the word motion. And that's not just a bunch of lame wordplay. It's important because people rarely take action. They rarely go into motion without the motivation of emotions pushing them. And what I also want to say is one reason we haven't included very many positive emotions here is most positive emotions don't motivate people to take action. I mean, when someone's happy, you've heard when you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. That's about all you can get people to do when they're happy. Well, all right, never mind. Um, Have another drink. Okay. Direct response copywriting is about getting people into motion. And if we can understand these emotions well enough to spur them in our prospects so they feel these emotions, then we stand a chance of making more sales. What's more, by giving your prospect copy, 
that lets them experience these emotions in relation to how your copy helps them. You make reading your copy a much more meaningful experience for them. When something's meaningful, it kind of bonds you with it. So they will bond with your copy, with you, with your product, with your pitch a lot more when they have a meaningful experience. And you can give that to them by sharing, taking them through one of these emotions. Now, the list that we are using comes from this book. It's called Intelligence in the Flesh by one of my favorite writers, Guy Claxton. Guy is a very clear-seeing professor in the UK, and he writes about brain learning, creativity in this book, as well as some new insights about the body-mind or mind-body connection. Now, what we're going to talk about is only from two pages of the book, so please don't get the book to think it's all about emotions and copywriting. He didn't even talk about copywriting on those two pages, but it's still a great book um, to understand human psychology and maybe some of the older forms of thinking about the mind and the brain and the body and neuroscience that are getting updated by some new discoveries. Now, anyway, the list of emotions that Guy Claxton puts together in this book are drawn from the lifetime work of two geniuses, Professor Paul Ekman from the University of San Francisco, University of California at San Francisco, excuse me, and the late Professor Jack Hanskeep, an immigrant from Estonia, great neuroscientist, and finished his career at Bowling Green University in Ohio. So it has a lot of academic credibility, but that wouldn't be enough because just as important, everything about these emotions in the book rings true to me after 30 years in direct response copywriting as a writer and as a coach. Each of these emotions, okay, we've got this format. It starts somewhere, it has a predictable path, and it has an ideal goal at the end where the emotion is resolved. The emotions don't stand still. What each of them does is it bugs the person who has the emotion and it won't resolve until the person does something about it. Now, one emotion you might be surprised not to find on this list is happiness. On either of the lists, that's because happiness doesn't require resolution. Very few people end up saying, I'm so tired of being happy. I want to feel another way. In fact, for every emotion on the list, a particular kind of happiness is part of the end state, the end state, the resolution of the emotion. So what I'm going to do is I'll tell you the name of the emotion. I'll talk about how it starts, how it resolves, and then we'll give you a suggestion or two on how to use this emotion in your copy. Okay. Let's get to the six emotions of today. The first one is sorrow. You could call this sadness, but sorrow is a little more specific. It's the feeling caused by the loss of something in your life and probably irretrievable, irrevocable loss. It could be something tangible. It could be a skill or a capacity, the ability. I mean, think of an older person who has his keys taken away by his kids, can't drive. That's sorrow. And he might be crafty and figure out a way to get him back, but it might be gone forever. So when sorrow strikes, the typical response is you go inward as you adjust and reconcile the loss. And you can be depressed, could 
you could actually, your metabolism could slow down, your thinking could get foggy. This could include mourning with a U. And sorrow resolves with the acceptance of the loss. And the end state is um, a muted kind of happiness called coming back to life or rediscovering one's zest for life. There's usually some sadness even in the resolution of sorrow, but eventually even that dissipates. So sorrow would definitely work in a powerful way in an opening story and could also work as a case study later in the copy. Okay, let's say you had a resume and career coaching service. You could talk about someone who lost his job in his aimless silence walking around almost in a daze, in a trance. He lost his job during the pandemic, and he gloomily kept repeating that he'd never find another one. When he came to your business, the resume and career coaching business, you helped him position himself for a new kind of job he already qualified for but didn't realize it, a job where he could work remotely during the pandemic. You saw glimmers of hope. Um, sparkle in his face. And when he actually got the new job, his old confidence and energy came roaring back. Roar! That's his energy and confidence. So that's one way to use sorrow and resolve it in happiness. You brought up the pandemic and specifically around employment. There's, I think that this can be used in a lot of other ways, especially right now, because people are experiencing sorrow for a lot of things loss of mobility, loss of civil liberties, loss of connection with their family members. And at the same time, there's we're learning new ways to try and cope with these things. One of the things that Bella is really sorrowful about right now is school's back in session. The only thing she really likes about school is being able to play with her friends. And that's the only thing that they're not allowed to do in school right now. But through the Teams app that they're using, they do allow them to have like, hey, after school hours, you can still come on to the school's Teams app and you can still meet with people and you can still talk to people. So uh, right now, there's a lot of sorrow. And if you're creative, you can, if you have a solution that helps get past that, again, it, it might not be the best solution, but it might be a, hey, this is what we're dealing with right now. You got you got the best solution available at this time, but just avoiding the sorrow, just pretending like it's not there. Like a, you mentioned, even psychiatrists and psychologists tend to just pretend that it's not there. Um, just pretending it's not there is going to make you miss out on a huge opportunity to connect with people on, a, on what is probably the most common emotional state that people are in right now. Yes, and you know, you inspired me to write a headline for for the promotion you're going to do involving Bella. At school, all work and no play made Bella a sorrowful girl until she discovered Teens App. <laughs> there you go. All right, so that was just a little brainstorming for you guys to listen in on. Um, you guys being our listeners. All right, so let's go to our next one. It's everyone's favorite. It's a real uncomfortable one. It's shame. Um, shame is a close cousin to embarrassment and guilt, and it's actually similar to shyness, but we're going to focus on shame here. 
Shame comes about from a loss of social acceptance or a fear that something you have done or something that has happened to you will cause other people to shun you from the group, from the tribe. And in the extreme, probably not too much in America, but in some societies, the events that lead up to shame could actually put your life in danger. Shame's really important. Being part of the group, we are essentially tribal animals in certain ways, and that's one of them. Shame starts with an introverted reaction, and not the good introversion like you know copywriters have, but where you're actually pulling in from the world, withdrawal, possibly loss of initiative, inability even to make decisions on your own, just being lost in the virtual forest. And shame ends with an experience called absolution, which sounds kind of religious, but it's more than that. It's an acceptance of yourself where you would, were at odds with yourself before because you feel like you're going to fit back into the group again. And one way to... Now, I know rugged individualists are going to have a real hard time with this one. Uh, trust me, most people, this applies to. So anyway, one way to describe the resolution is the relief of forgiveness. And it would work well for an opening story or right before the close. Okay, let's, let's talk about stuttering. I stutter a very little bit, but I've had friends who had a real big stuttering problem. Suppose you had a program to help people stop stuttering. You could start with a story about someone who went to a party and couldn't get a whole sentence out without stuttering. He left feeling totally ashamed and thought he'd never go to another party again. Miserable, alone. He felt completely drained of motivation. He uses your program, and over time, the stuttering gradually and then completely disappears. He feels confident to let go of the bad feelings about the past, and he enjoys going to parties again. So that's, that's an example of shame and, and resolution. Does the shame pop up in your radar at all here, Brandon? Yeah. Uh, one of the greatest headlines of all time. They laughed when I sat down at the piano. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, he was initially shamed and, and afraid of being shamed. But after he played, I mean, wow, that's such a perfect example. That's, that's actually goes through the whole process in the headline. from withdrawal from being shunned by the group to being, you know, feted, celebrated, feted, I guess, as a hero. Um, that was yeah. John Caples, right? It was. It was. It was. Um, it's a great headline to study if you're a copywriter. Fantastic. Okay. So from shame, we move to finally a positive emotion. It's desire. Hey, let me ask you a question. Does it take you too long to write your copy? And if it does, have you ever wished you had a proven system to write it faster? Well, if that describes you, then you'll want to know about high-speed copywriting. This is a home study program that has helped a lot of people write profitable sales letters in as little as five hours. No, it's not a bunch of shortcut tricks that leave you with cookie-cutter sales letters that people can ignore. It's about writing full-fledged, memorable, response-getting sales letters much faster than it usually takes. It's tested and proven, too. 
High-speed copywriting will ease you through putting together an original, powerful sales letter and putting it together in record time. You can find out more at highspeedcopywriting.com. By the way, this is one of the very few programs that Bond and Kevin Halbert have given their Halbert seal of approval to. So check it out today, highspeedcopywriting.com. Thank you. And now back to our show. Desire? What's the, it's a lot of things. Um, it's about sex. It's about ambition. Also hunger, thirst, the need to warm up when you're too cold, need to cool down when you're too hot. And of course, the need for more guitars. <laughs> when desire strikes, you start by being attentive to resources and opportunities to satisfy that desire. It ends up with a form of happiness called satisfaction or satiation. Although these feelings often last for less time than most people imagine they will. For example, there's always one more guitar to buy. Now, desire could work anywhere in your copy, especially in the beginning. Let's um, imagine a time when restaurants are open again, for this example, everywhere, even without a mask, because the pandemic is past history. We're really getting into some fan fiction here, right? And so let's say you have an old-fashioned diner in a town full of vegan restaurants. There must be some towns like that in Colorado, right, Nathan, where every restaurant is vegan? Uh, there actually are some vegan restaurants. I live in a college town, so there are some vegan restaurants. Exactly. And in you have the old-fashioned diner, and in your story, your hero wants nothing more than a double cheeseburger with fries. He's drooling with desire for that meal, but he doesn't know anywhere he can get it. And feel the desire for double cheeseburger and fries, and you know, all you see is wheatgrass smoothie. So he learns about your diner. He goes there. He orders the special huge plate of food, including, naturally, a double cheeseburger with fries. He is satisfied. He feels like a new man. And as long as you're not a vegan, all is well with the world. So. Uh, desire. I mean, desire is like the, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's kind of like the square one. It's like the, um, original point in, in copywriting. Right. Yeah. And I think one thing to keep in mind also, you mentioned guitars. A lot of times the desire is also, maybe there's an underlying desire. So if the desire is for more guitars, Maybe the desire is I desire to express myself through music or I desire to have the girls pay attention to me at the party when I pull out the guitar or I desire to be on stage having thousands of adoring fans. The desire might, there might be underlying desires for each section of the market. Uh, sports cars, one one guy might be newly divorced and he desires to look uh, his best on, an, on a first date with a new girl and get some confidence back after he just got smashed in divorce court. A female might buy the same car because she's a consultant and she desires to look successful when she pulls up to a new client for a meeting. So the desire might not just be for the new car. It might be for the underlying benefits that the car gets or gives. So um, really understanding who your market is and what their actual desires are and their, and their sub-motivating desires as well. 
Yeah, that's really good. I like that. And I think in terms of copy, you could maybe have little case studies or little testimonials saying that or almost that. Um, maybe instead of attracting girls, I wanted to impress my dates after I uh, uh, got divorced. And I thought getting an, a new car would be the fastest, easiest, cleanest way to do that. You know, and women could say, it's hard to get taken seriously. Um, um, in in my industry, believe it or not, 2020, 2022, tw- whenever this will actually happen, right? But um, I find out that showing up in a Jaguar XKE really goes a long way to getting people to stop asking me to take notes and get coffee at meetings, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So our next action emotion is called inquiry. It's the second... And and maybe this is because he's a Brit, and this is more of a British word, and certainly American English too. Uh, we call it curiosity, um, and I'm sure most Brits do too. But you know, the guy has a PhD, has to justify all those years in school. So he uses fancy words, obscure words. Okay, two ways this one starts: awareness of a long-term problem or predicament, or awareness of an opportunity to explore aspects of an important situation. And when you go through the cycle and you finish inquiry, you have a couple of possible resolutions, either a sense of happiness called mastery or a satisfying clarity, which was unavailable before. There's a lot here, but we'll just use an example and you can explore this. There are a lot of copywriters. Um, Gary Halbert comes to mind who says, Headlines got to have curiosity. Curiosity is such an important part. The the way we string people along in our VSLs and our sales letters. Well, actually, there are five ways you can get laid. I'll tell you them in just a minute. But first, right? Um, curiosity is very, very, very powerful. But here, let's use this as a part of a mini profile of a guru in a sales letter for a financial newsletter. Your whiz bang tech financial guru comes into the office Monday mornings and he feels like he's starving. Even though he had a full breakfast, he feels like he's starving because he hasn't had his data fix from the market since Friday. He fires up four computers, three with moving stats on specific exchanges, and a fourth computer, which tabulates the data from the other three computers in real time using his custom algorithm. After 15 minutes of close monitoring, He lets out a satisfied sigh and relaxes because now he's finally in the flow of financial data again. Okay, so you can see how his curiosity is like, what's going on in the market and what does it mean? What am I going to put in my newsletter and how can I make my next million dollars with a three cent investment in Bitcoin and and all those things? So it feels kind of like maybe the underlying emotion is uncertainty. Well, yeah, I mean, in a way it is. It's a combination of uncertainty and, and desire to get a solution to solve a problem. We talked in the last episode, some of these can play off of each other. So the desire can play into it, uh, the curiosity mixed with the desire, and maybe even one of the ones that we're going to be talking about in a minute. Yeah, let's talk about the next one. It has an unusual name. Like inquiry, Guy Claston calls it care. And it's very similar to sympathy or empathy. The difference is 
in most uses of sympathy or empathy, there's just a feeling, but not necessarily an action. The care response is an action. It gets called out in us by hearing or seeing others in distress. And when you recognize distress in another, the hormones oxytocin and vasopressin get shot into the bloodstream. Without realizing it, your gestures become softer and more welcoming, more caring, more nurturing. Some people can relate to this more with animals than with humans. It's easier to demonstrate this with animals. It certainly works with humans too. So the care emotional response resolves with a kind of happy contentment, both for the rescuer and the rescued. Also includes, you know, so we start out with vasopressin and oxytocin. It resolves with endorphins, which can create a feeling of euphoria. It feels good to care for another when, when everything's working right. So you could use the care response emotion through a whole promo up to the calls to action. Uh, you've seen the ASPCA commercials on TV. You see these sad-looking animals, and you can't help feel sorry for them. Um, almost nobody can help feeling sorry for them. Another example is a fundraising letter that A-list copywriter and former copywriters podcast guest Richard Armstrong wrote for the Center for Environmental Education. The letter was so good it won a Capels Award, which is a very big deal on Madison Avenue. Richard said it helped his career a lot. The letter used the plight of baby sea turtles on the beach. And apparently, I think if there were too many electric lights on the beach at night, the sea turtles would get into some kind of harm and die. Um, and so the it's a very successful letter. And when it's done right, as, as Richard did it, it's pretty hard to resist. So care i think uh one industry that i maybe it's just because i'm starting to get old now i'm 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 getting this in my my physical mailbox more and more frequently but the life insurance industry uses this mm. a lot as well uh, make sure that when you leave your loved ones aren't left holding the bag or left without a provider um they they really tug at that you care for your wife, you care for your children, you care for your grandchildren, make sure that they're taken care of, even right there in the, in the, in the verbiage, taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have to admit, I hadn't thought about that. And that's probably the biggest and most obvious example of all. So that's a, a great point. Thank you. Finally, here's the one we've all been waiting for. Number six, anxiety. Now, it's easy to confuse anxiety with fear, but they're not the same. With fear, the threat and the solution seem crystal clear. Whether the threat is real or the solution will work, it's another question. But there's a strong feeling of certainty. Not so much with anxiety. It's much more uncertainty. It's foggier. You're not quite sure what the problem is or what to do about it. So what you do is you start by cycling through possible problems and solutions. Should you find someone to blame, which is anger? Do you need to escape, which is fear? Is it loss that you're worried about, a loss that's unrecoverable, sorrow? Is it actually your fault, shame? 
Where you finish is by settling on one solution, working through it, and restoring a sense of equilibrium and well-being. Now, you can use anxiety copy anywhere, but my favorite place would be a testimonial. Let's say I were writing copy to sell my copy critique services. If I could find a past client who'd be willing to admit how they felt beforehand, should they get help? Should they show it to a friend? Was the headline right? Should they give up the project altogether? Should they run their copy even though they might lose a ton of money? And then after the critique, they felt so much more calm and confident. And of course, the promo was a huge success. That would be a really good example of resolving anxiety, don't you think? Yeah. And two words that you didn't use that I think of when I, when I think of anxiety, I feel like there's a sense of overwhelm. Mm. There's a sense of unrest. Yes. There's more than I can handle. And even if I could handle it, I don't know how to handle it. I, I think that's very true. Um, and I think that comes from not being certain even as to what the problem is or what you're worried about and cycling through all those different options. And a lot of times in copy, they say, if you can describe the problem better than the prospect can describe it to themselves, they'll instantly trust that your solution is that much more credible. And that's one part of helping them overcome that anxiety. Absolutely. And just to be clear, if you can describe the problem is they don't know what the problem is because it could be this or it could be that. It could be this. It could be that. And those ring true. Man, you've built a lot of trust just with that little insight. But figuring out what the four things are, you want to think about that a little bit, maybe even test it before you put it in your copy. Talk to a few people. But yeah, very powerful. So, man, over these last two episodes, a lot to absorb. I'm definitely going to have to go back and re-listen to these a couple of times. What was the book that you pulled these out of? Yeah. So I, I don't know where my physical copy of this book is. It's somewhere around here, but I just printed this out from an ebook. It's called Intelligence in the Flesh by Guy Claxton. And we can, we can put a, you know, a link to Amazon um, so you can get it as a Kindle or as a hard copy if you prefer. Uh, in the show notes. Awesome. David, I appreciate you putting these notes together. I know uh, <laughs> right now for the listeners that don't know, you're, you're right on the edge of, of wildfires and apocalyptic scenery right outside your window. And you still manage to pull everything together for these two uh, episodes. So I appreciate that. Did you have anything that you wanted to leave the listeners with before we're out of here? Yeah, I, I just want to review the the list of six that we covered today and, and mention something about why this is important. It's again, it's not the magic bullet. It's not the silver bullet. It's, it's not going to close the sale by itself, except possibly, you know, like we saw with the care response, but it does make the readers believe you more. It does um, make the copy more meaningful as an event in their day. And that can help you make more sales. And it's going to improve your reader's life, whether they buy or not, just by having a meaningful event. Sorrow, shame, desire, inquiry, care, and anxiety. Now, as you may have noticed, um, the negative emotions resolve positively into some form of happiness. It's how you'd like your 
stories or your testimonials or your uh, case studies to work out. And I want to reiterate, happiness is what our prospects want. And if you, huh, you remember the very beginning of Mad Men where, where he says happiness, that's what advertising's about. Well, this gives new meaning to that. If you honestly believe that your product or service can lead to happiness, then you owe it to your prospect, not only to tell them, but also to show them by letting them experience in their imaginations the emotional change they want before it happens in real life after they get your product. And that's why you want to give people emotional experiences and copy. That's what I had to say. Awesome. David, again, thank you for putting these two episodes together. And listeners out there, if you want to check out more episodes, you can head on over to copywriterspodcast.com. And until next time, man, we will catch you later. Catch you later. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.